there was just an emptiness that like nothing was filling. The men were not filling it. The marijuana was not filling it. The alcohol was not filling it. Being a mom wasn't filling it. Being a workaholic was not filling any of those things. It just was an emptiness that like, I couldn't tell you what it was. I just knew like there was just a hole that just needed to be filled. And nothing that I was doing was actually like working. Thinking about it, I think I had a pretty good childhood. I grew up with, you know, my mom. My parents got divorced when I was super young. Um, don't even know. Maybe it was like one, two. Wow. Ish. I don't even know. You know, so my mom, she got remarried. And, you know, so there's four there's four of us all together. My two younger sisters, you know, my stepfather's daughters. But we all grew up like, you know, just kind of in one happy, you know, family, seemingly. My dad was always around. Like he lived in Brooklyn and we would see him on the weekends. We did move around a lot, which I think has, imp- had, you know, has impacted me in my adulthood. But I think for like there's an eight year period, I want to say, or from like sixth grade to like my senior year, we moved like four times. You know, my family, we came over from Haiti in 1989. Um, So I was six at the time. And, you know, financial issues, you know, like coming from another country. My mom was, you know, working, you know, in New York City and my stepfather worked. um, And so there was a lot of financial problems. um, And that was pretty evident, you know, to us as kids um, growing up. But I mean, I would say like moving around, I probably would be like the most like unstable, unstable part of our lives. But I felt like growing up that we were fine. I, of course, you know, get into high school and, you know, you start partying. And I started like smoking cigarettes when I was 14 years old and got caught and busted. But I didn't care. I was still like smoking my cigarettes and then like started drinking um, when I was like 16. And not a little bit, like really excessive, like drinking a lot. I couldn't tell you why I was doing it, but, you know, you just do stuff because, you know, you're in high school and that's what everyone's doing and you're partying and hanging out and, you know, you just want to just be there. You know, I think it was in high school that my mom and my stepfather, you know, and their family and like his family, like they got really involved in like voodoo and like witchcraft and it scared me. <laughs> and what did that look like for for them? Um, they would be like, so I, I want to say, yeah, so I think it was the house that my stepfather's currently in, or the one before that, one of them, they would have like, they had like altars like built mm. um, in the basement. And I mean, we would see it, you know, we would just, it would just be there. So it was just kind of like, you know, that so, mixture, right? So yeah. it would just be like an altar. They would have services at our house, like in the basement and like all type of like possession. Again, I was too afraid to like even be a part of that. Uh, but like, I mean, I saw people that I grew up with, yeah. you know, like possessed by demons and knowing that now, not knowing that then, but I just knew something mm. was off, right? And like, it just was a lot of darkness. But yeah, they'd be down there like sacrificing I think a pigeon or something like that. And did this? Did they learn this here, or did it come from their uh, their background in Haiti? I'm pretty sure it's from their background in Haiti. Yeah. And we didn't have like growing up. I don't ever remember seeing it. It's not until like I was in high school that I saw it with my own eyes. So they could have been doing this all along, right. but I had no idea like all this was going on. But I think it. I think it's just part of like the background because they believe that like Catholicism, saints, all that. Like they believe it's both. You can have Jesus or God and you can like you know deal with the dead spirits so I used to be afraid because when we moved like I could feel like something was off so like every time we moved Mm -hmm. a house I remember like something would like be pinching at my feet there'd be like I would feel like something and I would literally like be under my blanket like hidden under my blanket covered afraid 
for whatever I don't I didn't I don't know why I was afraid. I just knew that I was afraid. Um, I would have like really weird dreams, like really really scary dreams, and I had nightmares. Um, so those things put a lot of fear in me, um, just through the dreams, or I should say dreams, but like the nightmares, and like just feeling like a presence that you don't have words for. But I would literally feel like something like pinching at my toes. Mm. But like I would never see anything. I would just like cover myself up like as tightly as I could and just like tuck it under that blanket because I was so I was so afraid. Um, So there was like a lot of darkness and like presence there. But yeah, it just was I just felt scared. I just Mm. felt scared. How How did your life develop from there after after high school? So after high school, like barely graduating, I was, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I just was, I was getting high. Like I started smoking weed at, um, when I was 18 years old, you know, I wanted to go to college and, um, you know, I wanted to go play music. Um, I wanted to play my flute. I played all the way through, um, high school. And one of the things I wanted to do was like, I wanted to go to like Berkeley college Mm. and play my flute and play my music. And I shared that with my dad, who's a, who's a musician. Um, and he plays like piano, guitar, he sings, like he's, was a music teacher in New York city. And I shared that with him. And I was like, Hey, I want to go to this school and I want to play my flute. And he was like, no, (laughs) you're Mm. going to Brooklyn college, which is where he went and you're going to go there. And I was just like, but I don't, I don't want to. Um, so, you know, long story short, I ended up going to Brooklyn college, moved to his house when I was 18, but I hated it. You know, I was in this college class, this economics class at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm. I was like, who's getting up eight o'clock in the morning to sit in a dark room and like learn economics. So for me, that was of zero interest. So I think I was in school for maybe three months. And then, you know, I left my dad's house. You know, we got into it. You know, you're 18, 19 years old and fussing with your parents. And I ended up like leaving my dad's house. I went back to Long Island. Um, I stayed there for some time. And then a friend of mine moved to Florida. I moved to Florida with her. She was like, hey, come live with me. You just can come and, you know, we're going to hang out, whatever. And, you know, I have family down there. So I had um, my uncle and my cousins live down in Florida. I think I was 19, fell in love (laughs) as 19 year old love. You know, you fall in love with someone. And then like maybe six months later, I found out that I was pregnant. You know, we talked about marriage, you know, at a very young age. We moved really quickly. I was like, no, (laughs) like we're 19, like we're not getting married. Like, no, you know, but I was in love with this is a person I was like, I think I'm going to stay with this person forever. And then, you know, slowly but surely, like 19, he's 18, I'm 19. We're young and the youngness shows, the immaturity shows. And um, we lived together for a time. And when we were living together is when I ended up getting pregnant. And then our relationship just kind of dissolved in a very tumultuous way. It was a very dramatic uh, way. And I was really hurt and broken up about it. But I mean, I'm here 19 years old, pregnant, Hmm. broken up with the man that I thought I was gonna be with forever. I had to make some decisions um, in my life at that point. And I, you know, my dad and I had started talking again. We hadn't talked for like two years Hmm. and started talking again. And um, he was like, if you want, you can come back to New York and live with me. I was like, okay, (laughs) like I had to decide, right? Because I'm carrying a baby. Um, my lifestyle was trash. You know, I was getting high, I was drinking, I was smoking my cigarettes and I'm carrying a baby. And it's like, it's like in an instant, like 
I was able to quit smoking cigarettes because of that. I stopped wow. drinking. I stopped getting high. Like it was just as soon as I found out, I was I had like one pack of cigarettes left, and I was like, I'm gonna finish this. And I was like, I couldn't even finish it. Wow. You know. And so like it instantly went into like I have another there's a baby in here that I have to take care of. And you know, of course, telling my family was not easy. Like my mom was not happy. Her first thing she said to me was, "You're not keeping that thing, right?" Mm. And I was like, "Wait, you know." And I felt bold to be like, "Wait a second, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm keeping this baby," you know. And I think it was because of my stepfather that she was worried about his reaction, which he didn't find out till I was like five months pregnant. Wow, wow. Um, so you know, so I was pregnant, and him and I were not living together. He wasn't stable, and I was—I had just lost my job. Like mm. things were just falling apart, and I'm like pregnant with a baby. And I'm like, there's no, you know, there's no option. There's no abortion. Like, that's not even an option. Adoption, I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, I have to keep this baby, yeah. right? Um, so I moved back to New York. It was August of 2003. Um, I moved back to New York. Um, Wait, and before you go there, sure, I, sure. Just, just because I, I'm very curious about your thought about this, but why was abortion not even an option for you? I, I just knew, like, this baby was, like, a part of me. I, I don't, I couldn't um, imagine killing my baby like it just like as soon as I found out I was pregnant like it was just immediate like you're a mom like it was wow. just there was no doubt no question nothing it was just like this is your baby like you're pregnant you hear the heartbeat and you know like there's a life inside of you and and for me like it wasn't an option it just was not an option like I would have never my mind never went there to be like oh yeah you can have an abortion like that's easy yeah yeah no I was like no <laughs> You know, like you're pregnant, it's a baby and you keep that baby. How did you move uh, forward with everything that was going on around you? Um, I mean, I just did what I had to do, you know, like, you know, I went through my pregnancy. Jaden was born um, in January of 2004, January 2nd, 2004. I mean, I went through labor and I was by myself. You know, I had him alone. It was just me in the hospital room yeah. um, with the doctors and I'm raising a kid all alone and I, you know, I wasn't necessarily, wor I wasn't working. Like my dad, thankfully, like took care of everything for like two years. And, you know, you get WIC and Medicaid and you're on assistance and food stamps and all that stuff. And so that was just to supplement like that time. But I mean, I just did what I had to do. Like yeah. I, I didn't think about it. It wasn't like I had any other options. Right. Like, mm. you know, I just I worked, you know, after two years, I went back to work and he had a babysitter um, who was kind of like a grandma. So, yeah. So I just kind of did what I had to do took care of him I don't I don't like I can't even tell you you know if there was actual thought behind it it just was this is your child you had this baby you take care of this baby yeah and you do what you got to do so that's exactly what I did throughout this time um was there any awareness of what God was trying to do in your life at this time none no mm -mm. um no not at all. Because I went back to, like, you know, smoking cigarettes. And yeah. I went back to, like, you know, when he got a little older, I went back to, like, drinking. And then he was a little older. Then I went back to getting high again. Um, so, no, there was no awareness of anything. I, I, I will say when I chose his name, you know, I, his name means God has heard. Mm. And so I was looking for a name. I'm looking for a name. I'm like, I don't know, like, what to name him? What should I name him? And, like, I saw this name, Jaden. And I looked it up, and I was like, what does it mean? I was like, I want his name to have meaning. Like, you know, in my, you know, 90-year-old yeah. mind, right? I was like, I want his name to have meaning. And um, I picked this name, Jaden. And I remember when I saw it, it meant God has heard. Mm. And so I was like, I'm going to pick that name because it means something. Yeah. So, I mean, awareness, no, but sure, God speaking, I'm sure, yeah. When did you start to become aware that God was starting to, you know, tug at you? 
I was like 27. So I would say probably like 29, 30 years old. Mm. Yeah, it's like doing the math backwards in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was like probably 29, 30 years old is when I started to like feel this longing for something else, something yeah. more. Can you take us through that process of what was going on in your life at that time and, yeah. and where that was coming from? Sure, sure. Um, Jaina was four. So this was 2008. You know, my mom had passed away. So I was 25. Two years before then, like she had gotten sick. Um, so she come to find out, you know, long, you know, she had a brain tumor. I like collapsed in the hospital, like just when they found out and, you know, she was having seizures and all types of craziness, you know, was going on. Um, my stepfather called me. I remember one, I think it was a Saturday I was working and he's like, this is what's going on. Your mom's in the hospital and like literally booked it to like Long Island from Manhattan. Um, my babysitter had Jaden, you know, and I was like, I got to go. Yeah. Um, so my sisters and I, we all went to the hospital, find out that, you know, she's, you know, I've got this brain tumor. And I think for me, like that hit, like, I can't even tell you, you know, and, you know, there's always that little glimmer of hope that she's going to get better. You know, there's that little, you know, she seems better. She's a little bit more alert. But then it's like there's this downward spiral that you start to see, you know, as the days kind of go by. And she was sick for 18, 18 months. So that's like the, the length of her. The diagnosis was like, this is how long it's going to be, you mm-hmm. know, and to watch someone kind of that you see that, you know, had this glow and this light, you know, you admire and, you know, you love, like just kind of deteriorate. I'm just like completely just changes. I think it changes you. And so I remember my younger sister was just like after she passed away, she was like, you lost your light. Like the sparkle in your eye is gone. And I was just down. I just was like, I, I didn't I didn't understand what was going on. And I remember when she was sick, I said, God, like, why are you doing this? I was like, why, why are you not healing her? I'd be in bed crying. Like, why are you not healing her? Like, what, wh- you know, what is it that we have to do, like, for her to get better, you know? And, and that was a very difficult time. And I was really angry. I was angry that, like, she wasn't here. I was angry that, like, she was, had fallen. I was angry the last time she fell. She had this big bump on her head. Like, the, the last... 18 months of her life like I don't rem- that I don't remember the person before I didn't mm-hmm. remember the person before all I saw was a sick woman that just could not hold her own you know and and it was so I was just angry with God and so after she passed away um, you know you have the funeral you have the wake you have everything has to happen you know all this stuff and then a week later I go back to work and just go back to work, you know? So I didn't grieve her passing. Um, and so for me, I just dealt with it. I didn't really deal with it, right? So I just kind of stuffed it and I smoked weed and that was the only way I could sleep. You know, I couldn't sleep. You know, I had a sh- hard time sleeping and I had a hard time being alone. So that's where the men and the weed <laughs> came in, you know? Mm. So that's where I was able to kind of like bury my grief. And I just remember I went into my room and I don't know what it was. I think I think it was because her birthday would have been coming and she was going to be 60. She would have been 60. And I remember thinking like, God, like I can't, I was like, I can't picture what she would look like today on her 60th birthday. And when I tell you, like, it was a breakdown of breakdowns. Like, I think I cried for hours in the dark in my bedroom because I just was struggling. I just was like, I was so so angry, but I was like, hadn't dealt with my feelings, hadn't dealt with the emotion, hadn't dealt with like the 18 months of like watching this process and this person like deteriorate, like completely just like broke me, you know, and trying to be a mom and I have to be strong. I can't break down. I like want to be in a fetal position, but like I have this child that I got to attend to. Yeah. So it's kind of like, and I don't have someone I could be like, tag, like you're it, like I need a moment. It was more like, you just got to keep going. I think that took me into a deeper depression and took me into um, 
deeper trying to like hide from those feelings because who wants to deal with like grief? <laughs> like I don't yeah. know anyone who wants to sit there and be like, I just want to cry all day. You know, it's just, but it's like, I have a child that I got to take care of. It always defaulted back to like, I need to take care of my kid, yeah. you know? And so it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't taking care of like anything. It was just like, I got to take care of him. And so all of this has to be like tabled for now. Like I said, there was just a longing and there was just an emptiness and there was just a loneliness. And like the weed became like, I remember like I started to feel sick, like mm. with the cigarettes. And every time I smoked a cigarette, I would feel sick. Every time I would drink, I would feel sick. You know, the weed, not so much at that time, but it started with the cigarettes. And I remember like I would smoke and I'm just like, ugh, like I just feel terrible. Like I feel mm. sick. And I just was like, okay, maybe I need to like stop. It began this process of like just getting rid of the cigarettes. Yeah. Phase one, right? As soon as I was like, I don't know how I'm going to quit this thing, <laughs> you know, but I just remember like I would journal, you know, and I was like I said, I was just there was just an emptiness that like nothing was filling. The men were not filling it. The marijuana was not filling it. The alcohol was not filling it. Being a mom wasn't filling it. Being a workaholic was not filling any of those things. It just was an emptiness that like I couldn't tell you what it was I just knew like there was just a hole that just needed to be filled wow. and nothing that I was doing was actually like working so I, for me it was like my default was like maybe I just need to go to church so I don't know where that came from. It was like, just go to church. So mm. I started in the Catholic church. Like for me, like that was familiar just because it's like, that's where we would be for Christmas. And that's where we would be for, you know, the holidays and Mother's Day and all that. Um, so I went to the Catholic church that was near my house and I would just go and, you know, you do the stand up, the sit down, the stand up, the sit down. But like no understanding of like Jesus, no understanding of like the power of God, no understanding of anything, just more like. You know, I just need to go to church. And so, you know, so that was really the beginning of my journey of like this just searching. Like I, di I didn't have a word for it. I didn't have verbiage for it. I just knew that there was just something that was more that I needed. And like my first place was like, let me just go to the Catholic church. Mm. And I, I went there for a little while, but I just realized that people weren't like super friendly. Like they didn't be, they weren't, I'd be like, oh, you know, you say good morning, but they weren't like glum faces and like you just walk in and it's like older people and you're just like okay like is this okay and it just didn't feel right you mm. know um so i went back to brooklyn for the holidays and a, a friend of mine at the time um she invited me to brooklyn tabernacle church now that church when you walk in you like you feel something yeah, yeah, yeah. um and I, again i don't i didn't have the verbiage at that point at that time but i just remember the christmas service the message and you know everyone's preaching and you know he's talking and then the music comes on and there was just something that just kind of like welled up on the inside of me and i remember that day because we had my sister and my dad and i had gotten to this big blow up i just remember like Jaden and this church and like he just started crying mm. like he just sat there and cried and cried and there was a woman she said i see like a light on him I didn't, I was like, okay, you know, but it's like, there's something happening. You feel it in the atmosphere. You feel like what now, what I know now is like the presence of God in that space. So when I went back upstate New York, the Catholic church just didn't do it. Mm. I went back to the Catholic church. I'm just like, nah, this isn't it. <laughs> like, this is definitely not it. Um, so there was a pastor um, that I knew from the hospital that I worked at. And I was like, hey, like, you know, he kind of like had adopted Jane and I. I was like, hey, like, what church do you go to? And so they were Methodist and they went to a Methodist church. And I was like, all right, well, since I know them, let me go to this Methodist church. And it's like, all you know, upstate New York, um, a lot of older people, older white people, they were from Panama. So, you know, they're, you know, we looked alike. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, you know, so, you know, I was like, hey, let, let's just go. And so we went there and I spent, I think, maybe two years there. They were family. You know, I remember there was a, a man, he passed away now. He would always walk by us and he would just hand me money. He would shake my hand and like put like $50 in my hand, you know, and it would be exactly when I needed it, you know. And so it's like they were they were, they were, they were our family, you know, like we didn't have anybody else upstate New York. Um, so we would go to church. I was a part of the choir up there and they just loved us, you know, like I didn't care about doctrine. I didn't care about Holy Spirit. I didn't care about Jesus, but they just loved us. And that's why we stayed, you know, mm. and when we needed something, they had it. Like I remember the, the pastor, like they gave me money to help me get, you know, a car or whatever it was. I got a, you know, the pastor that the chaplain of the um, hospital, who we were friends with, Pastor Carlos, he had a car and he was just like, do you need a car? And I, didn't ha- I was upstate New York, like in the middle of winter walking, yeah. you know, my shoes didn't fit. Like, and we're walking to the supermarket, you know, like three feet of snow, two feet of snow, whatever. And like, I just did it because, you know, we had just had to do it. You know, my sneakers were like hurting my feet and all this other stuff. And he just was like, you know, I have a car that I'm going to give to my daughter and I have her car. I can give it to you. All you got to do is just pay for the maintenance or whatever. Mm. And like, I know now, like, all that is from the Lord. Like I said, I wasn't reading the Bible. Like the Bible was, inter- it's interesting. I had my Bible next to my bed. Like I had this really thick, like amplified version Bible, like Joyce Meyer's Bible. And I would have it next to my bed, but it's like, I would actually use it for my, my ashtray. So I put my ashtray and my weed and my um, my lighter on top of my Bible. Because every time I, and then I would open the Bible every from time to time. I just remember when I would open the Bible, I felt like it was screaming. And I was like, nope. <laughs> like mm. I would just open it and I would try to read it, but I felt like the words were like screaming at me. And so I would close it, <laughs> put it back on the floor. What, is, what, is that, what does that mean exactly to you, like for you? Like when you say that it was screaming at you. I have no idea. Like I just, that's all I can describe it. Like I can't tell you exactly like what that means at all. Like I would just have it. Like, But I felt like when I would open it, like it was just this like <laughs> so intense. Maybe that's more like it. Like it was such an, in- it was so intense. And like I would maybe read like two words mm. and I'd be like, nope. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's too much. So I would put my ashtray back on top of my Bible, my weed, and my lighter, and that's where it stayed. And I would do it again, and it would be the same thing. Like, you read it, and it felt like the words are just, like, flying off the page, like, slapping you up or something. I have no idea. But, like, that. I mean, it's just, I didn't read my word. I wasn't in the Bible like that. I just knew that, like, this church family they loved us. Yeah. And for me, that had staying power. And through that, I remember, like, I would write my prayers. Like, I learned how to pray. You know, I would go to the Bible studies. I would sit there. I would answer the questions, but still no understanding of, like, Jesus. You know, you would hear Jesus, and you would hear the message, but it still hadn't, like, hit my spirit in the place of just, like, turn around. You know, but for me, it was a very gradual process on this journey, just just gradual of, like, you know, the cigarettes went, and then the alcohol, and then, God, like, I will not sleep with any man until I'm married. And then the weed was the last to go because I felt like like I had made a pact with this thing. I was just like, you and me are best friends. Mm. <laughs> like, me and you are best friends. I'll never let you go. And then there came a point where I just knew, like, okay, we need to get rid of this. But I didn't do it alone. I started going to celebrate recovery. And that, I think, is the beginning of my walk like in understanding like Holy Spirit. I started to deal with, like, the, the sadness and like the fornication and the 
codependency and like all these insecurities like there there, it was a safe space for people that had been addicted to drugs or addicted to food you know I started seeing a counselor there and she was a Christian counselor really sweet woman and very like really insightful you know like had a lot of wisdom um and so she really helped me to kind of just process my feelings and process like my thoughts and process like my relationship with my siblings and my parents um and like the weed was no longer necessary because it's like it kind of gave me a space to like really just grieve and talk about my mom and talk about all the things that just were like covered up over the course of the years and then at that point even the methodist church wasn't enough I knew there was more. I was just like, God, I know there's more. And I think a big turning point in my life, I had met this guy. I moved him to my house. I moved him into my house. Very bad guy. Did a lot of bad things to me. Um, had a whole wife, you know, mm. and like I didn't, I, like, I had an idea, but I didn't know. And I think he lived with me for maybe two weeks. And I remember sitting in my room. When I tell you, there was this repentance. Like, you know, you repent, but like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but this, I knew this was like a moment where it was just like, God, like, I've messed up bad. Yeah. Like, I moved this man into my house. Like, my child's unhappy. The space is messed up. Like, the atmosphere is all jacked up because he's here. Like, I knew what I did was wrong. And I said to the Lord, I said, God, like, help me. Like, get him out. Like, help me, you know? And I just remember, first time I heard the voice of the Lord, it was like, don't do anything. I will take care of this. Hmm. And within like a week or two weeks, he left on his own. I didn't have to ask him to leave. I didn't have to do anything. I just remember the Lord was just like, don't do anything. I've got this. And that moment was just like, whoa. Like when I saw, when I heard the voice of God and then I saw like the result of him, I was like, oh, this is no joke. And like, that's when like it all like turned around for me. And that was like January of 2013. Mm. Or 2000, 2013 or no, 2014. Yeah. And I completely just was like, wow. Like he said, he said, don't do anything. And I didn't, you know, again, didn't have language for this, didn't have anything. It just was like, I was just writing in my journal and like, I just felt like, don't do anything. I got this. Yeah. You know, and that was powerful. That was a powerful thing because I was so afraid that like, I had messed up, you know what I mean? I'm like, I moved this man in my house and I'm in church, you know, I'm going to church and I'm seeking after, like I'm praying and, you know, and like God is taking things away from me. And here I am, you know, just falling prey to like, you know, a wolf. Yeah. And I let him in my house. And I think it was in that place of repentance where I was just like, God, like, I'm sorry. Like, what? Like, this is not the life that I want. This is not the life that I'm after. Like, I need you to help me, like, get him out, do something. He's like, I got this. And he had it. Yeah. You mentioned there was a, a, a big change that happened when you came to Maryland. Yeah. Can you tell us about that and, and what happened? <laughs> well, King of the Nations happened, I will tell you. And I don't say that just because, you know what I mean, like we're here. But I, I, I moved to Maryland in January 2014. You know, I left Celebrate Recovery and I was there all the way until when I moved. And I felt like something, I was like, Lord, okay, I feel like something has to change. Like, what? you know, I, again, just talking to God, like, you know, just like talking to anybody else. And I'm like, I just felt like something else, like there was something else and there was something more that he wanted. And I was like, okay, so what do I do? You know, what do I do? I felt him say, like, ask your sister. I'm mm-hmm. like, ask my sister what? Like, this is like dialogue. Ask my sister what? Like, ask your sister. And her and I, like, we're good. Like, we have a good relationship, but we also fight a lot, right? And so for me, I knew that. And I'm like, I was like, ask her what? Ask your sister. 
I'm like, ask her to move to live with her. Like, <laughs> all of, like dialogue, like for real, like talking to God like this. And I asked her, and I was like, I don't know what she's going to say, but he just was like, ask your sister. So I asked her, I was like, hey, like, you know, this is what's going on. And I feel like, you know, we need to move from upstate New York. And, you know, the Lord told me to ask you. I don't know if I said the Lord, but I just was like, hey, is it okay if like Jaden and I come and stay with you? She actually lives, like, when she when I moved here, she lives in Falls Grove. So like mm-hmm. right up right up the block um so i think i moved here was june 2014 probably within like a month and a half of like making the decision to move i was down here so when i first got here i didn't have a church so i started going to redeemer um and i was like this is too big like i just i was like this is too big of a church like it was too much um so then i started like on my hunt i was like okay maybe i need to find a celebrate recovery so i found celebrate recovery that wasn't it and it was just like i just need a church home so I went on this search, <laughs> this massive search uh, for a church. And I would look, King of the Nations never came up, ever. I looked and I looked for months. And there was one Saturday night, I was like, okay, I had a church planned. You know, I went to like a Baptist church in Rockville. I went to like different random places. And there was this one Saturday, I was just like, let me just look one more time to see like if there's any other churches. And that was the search that like King of the Nations came up on. Like I was looking for months, no lie. And literally up the block, never came up. So you know, I found King of the Nations website and I looked on the website. You know, I wasn't really sure what I was looking for, but I was like, let me just do some research. And I remember reading about like Pastor Greg and his, his te- you know, his um, about us. And I felt like this stirring in my spirit. I was like, hmm, okay, this feels different. So as I'm reading, you know, about him and I'm reading about who this man is and who this church, what this church is, realizing it's up the block. And I was just like, huh, okay, let me go. Let's go. We're going to go. So instead of going to the other church, we came to King of the Nations. And it's funny because the first person I saw out the door was this man. (laughs) And he had this tattoo on the back of his head. Now me, walking in brand new, has a tattoo on the back of his head that says like, I don't know if I can say this, but F the police. On the back of his head. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Like the first person, right? And I'm walking in. I'm like, (laughs) okay. And then, you know, you see the trailers. And then you're looking at the outside. And I'm just like okay, like, this is, this is different. Um, because you're used to like, you know, a big building and you're used to like yeah. chapels and all that. So I came in and I think the first, first person to greet me was Anastasia. And she was like, hello, you know, like, and just the, this, the pouring outpouring of this love. And I was really down. Like, I just was like, just sad, you know? And so, you know, come in and there's this big conference going on. Like, I couldn't tell you like how many people were here, but it was full. Um, I sat like back there, you know, I left the front seat. So when I came in, I sat in the back and I just remember just sitting there. I couldn't tell you what, you know, what was preached on. I just knew like there was just people and there was an excitement in the room. And so I just remember, you know, the part of the service that they were preaching something and they started te- preaching about the man with the withered arm that Jesus healed. And I just remember sitting there, I think I just had tears in my eyes. I couldn't tell you what was going on. I just knew like something was happening. I had just tears in my eyes and I just got up, you know, he was talking about the part where it says, you know, Jesus was like, stretch out your arm. And like the man's arm was healed. I remember when he said that I stood up and I walked, tears filled in my eyes and just fell at the front at the altar. And like, I couldn't tell you if service was over. I couldn't tell you if like, if it was even time to get up to do anything. I just remember hearing like, you know, Jesus told the man like with his arm, like to stretch your arm out and he's healed his arm. And I just got up. And I mean, that was the very first time like I encountered the Holy Spirit. Mm. 
And I just remember being at the front and I just remember people surrounding me. And I remember like there was a, uh, I heard a voice and I swear it was God. Like it was a voice that I could hear that was here, but I felt like it was God. And like, it was just, I don't remember which, you know, it was a woman, you know, um, Shirley, it was a woman at the time that was speaking, but I couldn't tell you what she was saying. I just knew that there was something happening over here and like it was very it was different than anything that i had ever experienced my walk with god really truly began like the very first day that i came to king of the nations wow yeah if you can kind of sum it up mm -hmm. from the time that you've come into this new church um what has the lord done in that time sure yeah the biggest thing the lord has done in the last seven years has really taught me about relationships with people and really how important it is to submit to authority. Um, I was very much against that because I'm very much like, I just do what I want to do and we just moving on from there. Mm. I would say like, those are probably the two biggest things is like really submitting to authority. Cause when I came to King of the Nations, I was super zealous. I was so hungry. I was so wanting like everything that God had, you know, like, you know, I want this thing and I was fired up and you know, I, I neglected the process. Mm that God has to take me through. I didn't know. I was very ignorant to that. I was very ignorant to how church runs. I was very ignorant to like the body of Christ. Like, what is that? Right. It was, I felt for me as a very individual thing. So I took that, you know, and I left after two years, I left King of the Nations after two years and I went on a search for what I thought I wanted, you know, and I found another church and I was a part of that body for two years. And I saw, I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Lord very quickly corrected like, you know, in that season, like very quickly corrected, like my wrong thinking. And I started to like, I was just like, something's not right here. My spirit was never settled, never settled, never settled. You know, so then, you know, the Lord actually, you know, Michelle, you know, her and I were still kind of cool. She had invited me to Shabbat at Kathy and Willem's house. And I never knew, I didn't know them. Um, and so, you know, I went there and I started to fellowship back with the community at King of the Nations. And like what the Lord has been, has done is he's, rest he's restored He's restored that joy. Like he's restored like, like this is the excitement for life. Like I had no expectations. I had no goals. I had no dreams. And like, it's just like in these last couple of years, like he's just revived it. Like I, I want to be married and I want to have more children and I want to have a business. And there's just so many things that like he's revived that I just, I'd lost for, for a really long time. Um, and he used the body to do that. And he used like these relationships um, that I have now to do that. And he's used this church and he's used like Pastor Greg, you know, even when I left, you know, like we would see each other randomly and he was like, hey, come meet with me. Let's talk, you know. And like when I started thinking about coming back, we met again and we talked a little bit about what was going on. And it's just that like people never gave up on me. You yeah. know what I mean? The right people, you know, never gave up on me. And like. Not that I don't have those questions sometimes, right? I sometimes think I'm like, oh, you want for me? You know, like just those little insecurities that want to just pop in. But like, there's such comfort in knowing like they're there. Like these people are here, mm. like to walk with me and to be my family and to spend Thanksgivings with and to spend like holidays with. Like I never expected like this, you know, because I was very afraid of this side of my life. Like the Lord was just, you know, when I first gave up weed, I said, Lord, I don't know who I am without this. I don't know who I am without these men and sleeping around. I don't know who I am without my cigarettes and my alcohol and my weed. And I was very afraid of what was on the unknown, what was on the other side. And so it's like, this is what's on the other side of like really allowing God to like just strip away 
all of the just nasty, yucky dirtiness that like we allow ourselves to get into. And he's really like shown me just love from, you know, himself, but also like through the people that he's really brought into my life. Like it's another level. Like it's completely is never expected. Never Mm -hmm. expected. What can you say uh, to the people watching you right now, listening to you? What are some last words that you can offer to them? It's okay to like let people into your heart. I was very closed off. Someone gave me a prophetic word before I moved here. He's like, you know, God loves your heart, but your heart is in a cage. Hmm. And in order for me, for God to encounter you, you need to open that cage and let him in. So, and I would say the same thing about even people, right? I was very much like against letting people in. You know, and so for me, I want to share. I think for me, it's important to say, like, just be yourself, right? Like, for me, I'm, I joke and I'm cracking jokes, but I'm also very serious. But to like accept yourself for like who God created you to be, like, get to know that person, get to like that person, and like the people that God has for you, like, He will bring to you. Like, I didn't have to search for any of these relationships. I didn't have to search for anything. Like, God literally brought all these people in. And, like, my life has just been flooded with, like, just an abundance of love. Like, just, like, an overflow of just his love, like, from him and, like, from people that, like, I <laughs> I'd never thought. So I just, I guess my encouragement is just to just, like, learn to love who God has made you to be and, like, let people see who that person is and like the people that God has for you like will come to you and will love you the way that God wants you to be loved 